everyone. Do the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, February the 6th. Virginia is at its midway point in the ACC schedule. The Cavaliers have, quote unquote, their bye week, um, which is not, I guess it's technically a week, but it feels it, it feels different than football does for obvious reasons, I guess. So no midweek game for the for the Wahoos this week. They get ready for number two Duke on Saturday. Uh, Dave told me before we started recording that it's a shame that we can't sell press passes because we can make a pretty penny for um, hours this weekend, to which I say that is a great point. Um, let me get right on that. No, actually, I think I would probably choose to be at the game because I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a good one. We will no doubt talk about that their basketball game. Um, it will uh, undoubtedly take up most of our time, I'm sure, or at least maybe talking about uh, where things are for UVA uh, at this point in the season and kind of where they might go. And then also, it's National Signing Day, um, kind of a weird National Signing Day because basically nothing happened. So we will talk a little bit about football recruiting and sort of the bigger picture. Going forward, I thought there were a lot of interesting things that Bronco Mendenhall had to say at his press conference earlier uh, on this very day. Let's go around and introduce everybody before we get started. Up in Fishersville, David Spence is on the show. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Brad. Nothing witty tonight. Who Dave's on the board? At Who Dave's on Twitter? And up in Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber, also on the show. How are you, buddy? Uh, I guess I'm just going to have to bring all the wittiness tonight, huh? <laughs> at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And, uh, Let's get this Cav- thing started. Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates, content items, and occasional witty banter. Um, all right, so let's start with basketball. The Cavaliers go into their bye week at 8-1 and in the conference. Um, kind of, I don't want to say where we all expected them to be, but kind of where we expected them to be. I mean, basically, it's it's a two-team race at the top. Um I guess I I look at the second half of the schedule and 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 I have some some concerns. Mainly, it starts this weekend where you play Duke and and then you got to go to to Carolina in two days with your point guard still nursing a sore back. I think maybe talking about Ty Jerome is a good place to start. It it doesn't sound like to me that that there's a whole lot of concern about him not playing on Saturday, and I say that somewhat with some trepidation in my voice because you you never really know. I mean, back injuries are weird and I don't know if this is just a strain, if this is a, you know, uh, uh, something that's going to linger. It certainly didn't seem like in talking to folks before the game Saturday, it certainly didn't seem like there was a whole lot of worry. Um, But knowing Ty Jerome the way I do, I would imagine that it's going to take Ethan Saliba and like a whole, like whole like group of trainers to try to keep him off the floor. Um, I still remember that one game at Wake Forest when after London had like broken his nose, and he had, he did everything humanly possible to play in that game except for like literally go put on his jersey. And I remember the story was is that he told one of the coaches that he that he had his jersey and his shoes ready to go, so just look down the bench at him if he needs to play, uh, and he just run to the back and get dressed real fast and come out and play. Um, I can totally see Ty Jerome doing some other similar nonsense uh, in this one. Dave, when you found out that Ty wasn't going to play on Saturday, were you worried? And, and how worried are you going into the weekend? What's, what, how much hand-wringing are you doing about this game, <laughs> specifically because of where, where Ty's back situation is? I mean, there's certainly some uncertainty there, right? Um, I thought resting him Saturday was a smart move. I think if it had been you know anyone else were playing, he may not have rested. I do think, and you know, and let's be honest, like you know, Ty's not going to guard Chris Likes that much anyway. So it's a good chance to give 
give Kihei some burn. So I understood it. I mean, the fact that he was on the bench and that active kind of told me it wasn't super serious. Um, you know, having dealt with not being a D1 athlete, but having dealt with back injuries <laughs> myself, um, sitting in a chair is not the most comfortable, you know, sitting True. in one of those chairs is not the most comfortable thing. So, True. Um, and he was, you know, so, you know, it, it could be, for me, that was, that was comforting. Um, I know there were some, I won't even give greatest, but yes, yeah, some people claiming he was really hurt, but, uh, I think it was Ugo Abasi tweeted a picture of the team this morning and Ty was out in the court. So that's a good sign. Um, Look I do you, think he's crucial. Shoe. Look at you. Yeah. Um, the, um, you know, Ty is definitely crucial to, to beat Duke. Every piece we have is crucial to, to beat a team like Duke. Um, but I, for me, like, I think you kind of nailed it. My concern isn't so much how healthy he is Saturday because he's had a you know a week plus to get ready for it. It's that turnaround, get in the bus and drive to Chapel Hill in 48 hours. And I'm a little more concerned about. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how you play that as a head coach. And I guess that's why he makes the money. Um, I mean, do you do you play him for minutes, you know, and potentially aggravate the back and have him out for Carolina, or do you use him sparingly to try to get maximum minutes out of both games? So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, so certainly, uh, if you don't have him full strength, it's it's one less weapon you have against a team that's got plenty of them. That's true, Ferber. When when you and I were talking um, the other day, it's I, I think though we both had the the same mindset of give Kihei some minutes and see what happens. It was a little bit of a mixed bag, right? He 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 had moments where he looked good. He had moments where he sort of forgot who he was throwing the ball to. And I don't mean that um, in a in a totally derogatory sense. I just thought um, it was like he had. Uh, it's like he had um, like things had sped up for him in a way that maybe they didn't look like they had earlier in the season. Are you worried about Clark having to play more minutes if Jerome's back is is actually an issue? Or what's what's your comfort level right now with Kihei Clark at the point? Yeah, I mean, my worry would be more just not having Ty Jerome. I mean, that that in itself is a loss and obviously not one that can just be made up for on a whim. <laughs> um, I don't think that I'm particularly worried about Kihei playing extended minutes if, if Ty needs a break. But obviously, if he's going to be the starter, then that's a different story. Um, in some of these games, it's going to be t- Like, I don't know how he would match up with Duke if he had to play. I mean, he played like 20 minutes in Durham, but... You know, uh, having Trey Jones back actually kind of makes it a little bit more interesting because maybe he just guards him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, honestly, the the thing I'd be more worried about is losing Ty and his production rather than not trusting Kihei. Um, I think what you said is true. I, there were a couple turnovers where I think he was trying to make, like, a really good assist, um, particularly the ones to Jack um down low I, I think he was trying to like make a lot of you know nice plays around the rim and easy baskets and you know kudos for him to get in the lane and make those plays but um sometimes you have to be a little bit more direct with those passes and realize that some of those are just going to go sailing out of bounds if you try to fire him in there but i mean i thought he played pretty well i thought he you know he held his own against one of the better uh smaller guards in the conference and maybe in the country um in chris likes and and it was obviously very weird to see him taller than the guy that he's guarding for once but i thought that he did pretty well in that matchup and we probably would have seen a lot of him anyway but um i'm not particularly worried about you know whether he can hold his own in the acc play it's just you hope that it doesn't come to that because ty is an important piece and i certainly felt like they were missing him at times on saturday against miami 
So I think if you, Dave, if 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 you needed a scenario going into a Duke game, having not having the point guard uh, and his health, um, and then watching the backup point guard come in and turn the ball over six times by himself, although he did have six assists, so you you don't want to gloss over that. But I would imagine that that's one of the things that makes you you know that makes your hand ring a lot. Uh, as this game draws closer, as the as the sort of fan spirit animal of the podcast, where are your nerves right now? You you you, you feeling you feeling confident? You you got your nerve your nerves of steel? You feeling worried? Where, what's your what's your assessment? I mean, honestly, I really haven't thought about it that much this week. I I kind of had to force myself to think about it today, so I didn't sound like an idiot tonight. Um, but, you know, I think we're at a point in the program where we know a lost Saturday doesn't end anything. Um, you know, probably makes one in the ACC regular season very difficult. But, you know, just it, it's NCAA or bust right now, right? Like, I, I want to beat Duke because I dislike Duke. Um, but also understand, like, this Duke team is really good. And going back to my point earlier, like, I'd rather, uh, I don't know, put that out there but i'd rather have ty healthy for the long term so if anything we have to do saturday maybe makes the game harder to win because we want to keep ty healthy then i'm fine with that um if if kihei has to play more minutes and he struggles and it makes him a better player in late march i'm fine with that um dave is the it's, hold it's on, a pause. great scene dave is the king of like coming up with like this random like um Oh, how do I describe it? This random reasoning for why a fan base is going to say that they lost the game. So inevitably, like, let Tech not have somebody or let Carolina not have somebody or whatever. And like, well, they'll just say that this is because yeah. of whatever. I'm so surprised that you didn't come out of the gate guns blazing talking about, yeah, because if we, if, you know, if we lose this game, we're not going to, and we don't have Ty Jerome, then we have a patented excuse ready to, ready to serve up. We both, we, everybody here no, knows no. you will totally do that if they lose this no, game no, and Ty like, Jerome I, doesn't I, play. I, I don't think I will anymore. Like, um, this Duke team is really, really good, man. And I, I dislike Duke, you know, basketball with the passion. I dislike Virginia Tech football. Um, this team is just really good. I, I think Virginia can beat them by doing some things, but I also think there's a chance Virginia could see these guys in a much bigger game down the road. So I'm kind of torn. Like, do you do you pull out that wrinkle now and give K Tom to be ready for it later? And I, I think Virginia can beat them at home just playing their base and just shooting better from three. Um, if they don't, because they're a little off from three and Duke kind of exposes them by spreading them out and switching everything like they did last game, then, you know, I'll take my medicine and move on and, and hope we beat Carolina. Um, even with the win Saturday, I'm not going to be very happy if they win Saturday and turn around and lay an egg at Carolina. So it's two tough games. I want to be one and one coming out. Um, oh, and two would be a little upsetting. I'd rather, I'd like to beat Duke because it's, you know, it's a big, big game. I just, yeah, for me, it's just come Saturday at six. I'm sure, you know, I'll be rooting and cheering and I'll be upset if they lose. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a game against a very good team. Um, so just showing well, playing well and, and in doing what you do, it's kind of all I'm looking forward to. Um, ask me again, six, like what, eight o'clock Saturday? See how I feel. <laughs> well, th th whether or not you talk at eight o'clock Saturday really kind of depends on what happens between six and eight Ferber, Dave yeah. mentions the switching five, one through five. I, I can't imagine that they're, they're going to do that with Trey Jones on the floor. Um, when you start to break this thing down in a day or so, 
what is your expectation on how Trey Jones being in this game changes things, both for Duke and for UVA? Um, I mean, if you have a team that's been struggling with turnovers like UVA has, obviously, that that's something that um, doesn't make things any easier having him in the lineup. He is uh, maybe the best on-guard ball defense, like guard defender in the country, on-ball defender. Um, he's tenacious. Uh, he's very good at getting in passing lanes, which isn't something that UVA really struggles with when it comes to turnovers. But um, any cheap baskets like uh, transition points, points off turnovers you can get against UVA, especially in a lower possession game, are huge. And, and obviously we've seen that in the past. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it does change the way that Duke will, will roll out their lineup. And I, I don't know if they can switch everything with him in the game. Um, I think he can guard guys that are a little bigger than him, and he's not going to have much of a choice of ties out there. But uh, I think that, you know, maybe defensively they do some things differently, but they probably try to attack UVA the same way that they did down in Durham on the other end of the court, uh, you know, just getting in the lane and trying to just get contact at the rim um, and, you know, almost playing into the strengths of the pack line, you know, trying to to spread the defense out and, and penetrate. Um I think Jones obviously is good at that sort of thing, but uh, you know he doesn't have the size advantages that gave UVA some issues with Barrett and, and uh, Zion Williamson down in the first game. But I mean, I don't think it helps UVA that he's playing if, if that's what you're asking. But it does maybe make Duke play a more traditional style. Maybe they go a little bit more zone. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I was going to say that that was actually what I, my thought process was. But I think with him being so good on the ball and Duke being so you know, athletic at the wing. Yeah. Kind of neutralizes I, that if you play too much zone. Yeah. I think the zone almost hurts you. I, I, what I'm, what I'm curious to see is how, so we saw UVA when, when, when K decided he wanted to switch everything, Virginia just said, okay, we're going to go ISO ball screen, ball screen, ball screen. We've talked a lot about that since that game with Jones back on the floor. I, I don't think we're going to see as much of that. I, you just, you said a second ago, you know, you don't think it helps them. I kind of think it does. I, I'm not saying that, that, that Coach K Hall of Famer winner of national championships is going to walk up there Saturday and sit Trey Jones again, you know, um, just to see if he can. Um, but in in terms of like the way things match up on the floor, Duke has shown that it can handle what Virginia a lot of what Virginia does. Now, granted, if the Cavaliers hit a few more of those outside shots, that game is completely different, right? I think we all understand that. Trey Jones being in the mix, I think it makes things more traditional for both sides. And I'm really curious. We've seen what it looks like when they both go ISO ball screen, ball screen, get your match up and go. I'm really curious what it does when, when things are more, you know, in a more traditional sense. And that's the thing. Um, I, that might be the thing I'm most excited about. Um, I still think when I look at, you know, I rewatch that game, I see Virginia doing a lot of good things. Um, and against, um, you know, against, uh, Against Williamson and and Barrett, you sort of have to just you have to just sort of live with what you get, right? You have to defend them as hard as you can, take away their space if they create it themselves. You know what? You got to sort of tip your cap. It's almost like closing out hard on a shooter, and if he makes the the, the tough shot, you gotta you gotta live with it. I feel like in a way, Virginia has to be like that with drives to the basket. Now, that being said, I thought Virginia was out of out of position a lot. Guys were so everybody looked like they were like half a tick tight you know what I mean like it just looked like everybody was playing with this sort of an edge that wasn't a good thing like there was a there that everybody 
seemed in the moment, not that the moment was too big for them, but that, that they were trying too hard um, in a way that wasn't productive. And so instead of instinctually just sort of anticipating and going, there was a lot of reacting and there's a lot of guys sort of out of, out of position, out of sorts. And, and, and as I watched that game, the thing that really stood out to me was Virginia has not looked, even, even when they were struggling in Raleigh that night, has not looked that um, unlike themselves defensively than they did in that game. And that's got to be something. I mean, look, you're not, you're not going to win this game if you don't tighten up a little bit. Um, but offensively, I thought it was not a bad game for them. I mean, they, they got sort of what they wanted inside the arc. They just didn't make enough outside of it. Um, and that's, that's going to be a, a thing, I think, to watch in this game is which team – which team can hit threes? I, I know Virginia has to make those threes, uh, as we've seen the last few games. When the when the when they don't hit, when they don't make those shots, things things get wonky. But I, I think Duke, in a weird sort of way, because you have to you have to you have to close that space with Barrett and Williamson on the wing. It's almost like they get the benefit of the three point shot without having to. Having to give up the percentage of of the shot does that make sense? Because they end up getting a closer look at the basket, and so therefore they're able to they're able to get better looks. So yeah, they obviously they're not shooting threes; they're 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 making twos. But the but you still have to get out there, and you still have to defend them. And because you have to get out there, and because they can get by you, so I don't want to say easily, but so efficiently, it it's it it almost serves the same function, which is it makes you it spaces you out. Even if they're not making the three, it still spaces you out. And that's something I'm, I'm curious to watch unfold. I want to get into a little bit of prognostication here. I want to, um, I want to take us through sort of what the uh, expectation is going into it. Dave, there are obviously a few more days left before this thing plays out. I'm just curious to get your, your take. And if you want to give me a score, feel free, but you don't have to. <clears throat> well, let's, for this, we're going to assume Ty is 100% healthy, right? Because uh, otherwise I'd just be – guessing um so i'm gonna i'm gonna assume he's healthy i I do think with with trey back like i I don't know that they're better against virginia they're they're just different and we know they could take them out and go back to what they did which was good so um but you know trey i think i think the challenge he's going to present is you know he can he's a he's a he's kihei with with saws right so he he'll dog the the ball handler from one end to the other so I'm guessing, like, you're not going to be able to let Ty bring the ball up if he is playing because you don't want to wear him out before he gets to half court. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing Kyle, got, Kyle will bring the ball up some, Kihei when he's in. You may even see Dre bring it up some just to, you know, get the ball pressure off. Um, but what's interesting when, when Jones is in is that Duke shoots the three much better. Um, I think against us they, they were 65% from two or something. They're like 35% from three with Jones playing, which is much better when he doesn't. So you've got to shoot, you've got to force them to shoot threes. Um, I think the recoil that Virginia could beat them with, and the thing that hasn't been mentioned is that since the Virginia game, Jack White has been pretty terrible. Uh, I think he's like one for his last seven or something from three or 17. I mean, it's pretty bad. And then, you know, Bolden, he's a threat, but he's not an outside threat. So you could. The, the tweak I think you can make is you effectively just let Jack stay in the middle and just you know, he doesn't go out and hedge. You just you know work over the screen, work through the screen. If you don't, you let him shoot the three. You, you're just kind of keep him from driving, and you've always got a rim protector there. So I think there's some tweaks Virginia can make 
against that five man who they don't have a great option in. Whether they do that this game, I don't know. I think Tony kind of wants to beat him with his base defense, and I think that's what we'll see. Um, foul calls will be big. You know, if they're if they're allow some physicality, I think that helps Virginia. But then again, I don't because Zion's so physical. So it'll be interesting. Um, I think Virginia wins because they're at home. I think it's going to be a close game all the way. But I think for Virginia to win, they've probably got to shoot 40, 45% from three and get a decent volume of shots up. Um, I don't think Virginia can win a game where they're relying on on the dribble drive like they had to at points at, in Durham. Um, you know, it's just they're, – they're decent at it. Duke's just better at it. So you've, you've got to take advantage of your, your advantage, which is the three-point shot um, and being at home and – so it's going to be fun. I don't know what the score will be. My guess is Duke won't hit 70 because um, they, they don't do that very much against Tony. So I'll, I'll say Virginia wins like 70 to 68, somewhere in there. It'll be a barn burner. Um, if Ty's not healthy, it, you know, it could be a, a much different result. Ferber, what about you? You, How are you feeling about Virginia's chances, at least as of as of now? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like Dave, uh, I'll just assume that he plays. I don't know how healthy he's going to be. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that his – he wasn't, like, moving around weird or anything last weekend. He seemed like he just was being held out as a – you know, it just hadn't worked for him in practice that week. He, I don't think he practiced. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see wh- wh- if he's able to go and if he is, how much he can play, that sort of thing. Um, I think what Dave said about fouls is, is important. Um, UVA shot 17 free throws. Duke shot 31 in the first game. And obviously some of those are just at the end of the game when UVA was trying to get the ball back. But, um, you know, they obviously they're going to have to shoot the ball better. And, you know, they, they didn't shoot the ball well down there. But part of the reason for that is the switching that Duke did. It just kept UVA from getting the open looks that they usually get with the you know blocker mover offense that they run. Um, when you're switching, it's harder to kind of take advantage of running off of screens and stuff like that. Um, and they just they didn't get as many good shots as they normally would get. Um, and they shot three for seventeen as a result. And, and then obviously they missed some easy ones in there too. But um, yeah, I mean I don't I don't know. I, I kind of figured that this would be one that UVA would get after losing the first one, but. The more I watch Duke uh, the last couple weeks, the more I think that, you know, they are everything that we think they are. Uh, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well either from three in that last game shot, two for 14. And I know that that's not a strength of their team necessarily, but they can do a lot better than that. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I just I feel like UVA hasn't really played their best ball going into this game and maybe the time off will help. I just have a feeling Duke's going to win another close one, like kind of similar to the last one. Um I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to come down to how UVA shoots the ball um, from three. If they can get hot, then great. If not, then it could be a long night. But I like Dave said, I don't I don't know if they're going to be able to do as well getting to the rim as they did in the last one. I thought they really did a nice job with that, considering that that's not normally how their offense is run. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. If, if Zion and, and R.J. Barrett have performances like they had in the first game, then UVA is going to have another – you know, tough game on their hands, but um, there's certainly a recipe for UVA to win. Obviously, very good at home, and uh, you know, but these these primetime game day games have kind of gotten them a few times, and I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to pick a score. I'll save that for the preview, but I think this is basically like a toss up. 
I think I think that's fair. The thing that I keep thinking about is if if you add Jones to the mix, Virginia has had a turnover problem the last two games. You add Jones to the mix, uh, and the pressure that's going to come with this, and the fact that Virginia know, I think the guys know they have to they have to work the ball better. You know, I think that was that was one of the things that as as good as the looks may have been that you were getting out of your um, your ISO stuff, there just wasn't a lot of like taking advantage of maybe the scramble and being able to kick out and 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 move it, move it. Um, there was no, you didn't get a sense of that there was a rhythm that was created. Um, and I think Virginia has to do a better job of sort of creating things out of the drive if that's the way that they have to go. Um, the other thing for me is the offensive glass. Virginia had been a little more susceptible the last couple games, maybe did a little bit better job of against Miami with it. Um, man, Duke is going to challenge you on that offensive glass. Zion Williamson is going to challenge you on that offensive glass. But to me, the, 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 the secret of this game, so to speak, is Braxton Key. I mean, he, he had probably his worst game of ACC play against Duke. Um, and he's been really solid everywhere else. He's been good on the glass. He, his, de- his defense has been absolutely essential. Um, he's got, he's Brogdon-esque in his ability to, to sort of, as Tony likes to say, roadblock a guy and, and continue to, to move himself and slide, but stay in front. He's got to be able to do a much better job than what he did in Durham. And maybe that was the moment. Maybe it was the venue. Maybe it was a little bit of column A, a little column B, but Virginia has to have more from him in this game in order to, to win it. Um, I, I'm somewhere in between, <laughs> I'm somewhere in between both of what you, 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 you where you guys are. I, I, I can see where Ferber's coming from, that it's going to be very similar to the first game. I, I do think Virginia's going to shoot a little better. I don't know how much better the, the Blue Devils are going to shoot from deep. I think the offensive glass is a, is a big concern. Obviously, Ty Jerome's back is a huge concern. Um, I kind of just don't worry about that part so much. I think he's going to play and wouldn't be surprised if he plays well. Um, Kyle Guy hasn't really been on in the last couple games. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see him sort of snap back. But ultimately, I think as Braxton Key plays, so too will UVA. Between he and Mamadi Diakite, when they are contributing on both ends and they're doing what they do well, the rest of it sort of just falls into place. It's it's when those two pieces get out of whack, I, I think Virginia struggles. And so I think if they're going to win this game, it's going to be because those two guys play defense. I'm I'm still up in the air about it. I do want to talk about Carolina because the, the Cavaliers will go to Chapel Hill um, before we reconvene this program. Um, Carolina, as Ferber alluded to in, in his power rankings the past couple of weeks, is, has, I think, done a really nice job of steadying the ship and, and pushing forward. Tar Heels are in a position now – given what happens over, you know, the next week or so to to really position themselves to be in that upper tier. Dave, do you feel I mean, I, it's kind of hard to talk about Monday without knowing what happens Saturday. So I, I, I do want to have a discussion about it with some sort of um, caveat. I mean, we, we know that, you know, that that's going to play some role. But as you look at Monday, what are your concerns about matching up with with UNC? I mean, legs, you know, that's Virginia doesn't, you know, the way Virginia plays, it's kind of exhausting, right? And um, you're playing two of the best offensive teams in the conference, if not the best two. And I think they probably are the best two um, back to back. One at home, thank goodness. But, you know, and Carolina plays Saturday, but Carolina plays at noon at home on Saturday against Miami. They should be done by one. Um, so, you know, they're going to have, they're going to be a little more rested. Um, yeah, Virginia, it's a tough one too. It's a very good test for for down the road. Um, 
you know, things can look a lot different if if Virginia can't pull off at least one and one this weekend. I mean, zero and two, Virginia could play well and go zero and two. It's very two you know two very good teams. Um, and we're talking about a much different conversation the next time we have a podcast. Uh, don't know if it's crisis point there, but it's it's certainly you know readjustment of of in you know regular season aspirations at that point. Um, I do think Carolina is much better than they've been the last few years, and I think if you're a fan who hasn't watched them, you, you can't assume it's going to be the the Carolina that Virginia saw last year because they are different. They they defend a little harder, or like their offense a little more. Um, they've got a couple more options offensively, so I, I do think they're a challenge. But I think you know Virginia's got experience playing them. Um, my hunch is Virginia will go at least one and one this weekend. Uh, over the hopes over the Saturday and Monday, uh, my hope is they go two and zero. But I don't know. I mean, you're right. Saturday plays such a huge role. Like, and I don't know which way. Like, if they win or they do they let down Monday or if they lose are they angry? I don't know. But I'll come up with an excuse Saturday around eight o'clock. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's a it's a heck of a one too. If Virginia could somehow come two and zero out of that, then. Yeah, you know, it's hard to hard to argue how good that team is, how good this team is. Sorry, the you know you're right. They're gonna. I mean, legs are a concern. You know, you're gonna be sore. You know, you're gonna be worn out. You know, you're gonna feel like you just went through boot camp or something nonsense. What's really interesting to me is when you look at the schedule. So Carolina got NC State uh, on Tuesday night, which they won 113 to 96, which is a thing that actually happened in the world. And then they get Miami. Yeah, so NC State scored 24. I don't want that to go without mention on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, that, yeah. And then they scored 96. But they lost both. But they lost both of them. All right, so they give up 113 uh, and lose. But no, so Carolina beats NC State at home. Then gets uh, then they play Miami on Saturday at home. And then they play Virginia on Monday at home. Now, I understand earlier in the season, you know, what did they have? They had uh, – they've had – Pittsburgh, they had played Pittsburgh and NC State away. Then they played two home games. But I mean, like, they got three home games in a row, one against their one of their rivals, at least, because Carolina would, you know, make the chant about how it's not a rivalry. And then they get Virginia at home, which is the only time they play Virginia. Now, granted, they got to play Duke in a pretty, pretty small amount of time. Um, but I mean, that's a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. Everybody knows I'm, I'm not a fan of Grassy Knowles, but like, that's, Man, that that seems well set up for Carolina to make some noise in this game. Ferber, you are someone who has been on this. Uh, I want to. I don't want to call it UNC Watch, but you've been on UNC Watch for a while. Um, with the caveat that we don't know what happens on Saturday, but generally speaking, how do you think Virginia and Carolina match up? Yeah, I mean, you kind of mentioned at the top of the show that it's a two-team race at the top of the league. I really think it's a three-team race. Um, that Carolina is eight and one, so they're literally tied with EVA and Duke. Um, they've won six in a row, and uh, like Dave said, they are a little different uh, from a personnel standpoint than how they've been in the past. But the style of play is pretty similar. Uh, their offense is seventh in adjusted efficiency. They're fifth nationally in in pace, so they play really quick. Uh, Fourteen seconds is their average possession, so they get up and down the court. Um, their defense has been good. Uh, they, they've scored a hundred points twice in the last four. Um, they haven't exactly played a murderer's row of teams. I feel like, um, the win at Louisville over the weekend was really nice. And then obviously they beat a state team that's reeling right now. Um, and they beat Virginia tech at home. 
uh, I can't remember. If, yeah, Justin Robinson played in that game. Um, but still, I mean, it, they handled them. So, you know, I think that they've racked up the wins. Uh, the schedule is a little bit more favorable for them, actually, than for UVA and Duke. Obviously, they have to play Duke twice. Um, but, you know, obviously one of those games is at home, and then they have UVA at home. And other than that, it's pretty manageable. You get Florida State and Syracuse at home. Um, yeah, Miami at home. They, they go to Wake. They go to BC and Clemson. I mean, they can they can win the ACC regular season, especially if UVA beats Duke and then they turn around and beat UVA a couple days later. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously it's going to be a pace war, like always with UVA, and UVA usually can slow them down a bit. But Carolina has a tendency against UVA to go on these little spurts where they can get a lot of their offense going. Um, obviously it'll be weird not seeing Joel Berry out there. I feel like they played against him a million times, but they have a big physical team that's worth noting as well. And, and that could, that could be a factor for a UVA team. That's going to probably be pretty tired after playing Duke. You know, they have a May six, eight cam Johnson, six, nine, uh, little and white are both six, five plus freshmen and Kenny Williams, even him, you know, he's six, four. So, uh, they have, they have plenty of size. And obviously this is the first year in a while that they've had a really impactful freshman class. I feel like, so they have some talented guys to go along with the more experienced guys like May and Johnson and Williams. I'll be interested, too, to see. I think Carolina, to me, when I've watched them, have, has looked a lot better when Leaky Black was out there. He he got hurt, I think, in the Georgia Tech game, I think it was. No, the Louisville game, maybe. Um, did not play, I don't think, against NC State. So what, what his status is going into the weekend with Miami and, and UVA, obviously, in a three-day period is, is interesting. Um, Nazir Little has been such an enigma, right? I mean, earlier in the season, it was all this drama and noise around him, and now he seems to have righted the ship. And um, I think that with the with the talent around them, Kobe White, one of the fastest point guards in the in the in the conference, and certainly a guy who um, has never seen a shot he didn't like. Um, Cam Johnson, Luke May, you, 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 the book is obviously written on them. I feel like Virginia has the pieces to to slow Carolina down. The question I think is going to be whether Virginia can hit the shots. Carolina's defense is not necessarily, um, I don't want to say they're not, they're not, they're not like elite. I mean, they're top 15 in efficiency, um, but they're not maybe quite as um, reliable in my mind. Um, Maybe as, as they should be Um, last year, they weren't quite as good as they were the, um, the year or two before. Um, but they also don't have quite the offense that they had. So I feel like, in a, in a way, Carolina is kind of peaking at the right time. And Ferber is absolutely right. The schedule is very manageable for for the Heels. They get basically they they play the other, obviously they have to go to Cameron. But other than that, that's the only game they play away from the Smith Center against a team currently ranked in the uh, top forty. Uh, of Kim Pong yeah. rankings. I mean, I mean, Clemson's probably the only other it, one. Yeah, they're like, forty fourth. I mean, but yeah, and they're the other, not exactly like lighting the world on fire. The so. other away games for Carolina from here on out are at Wake Forest uh, and at Boston College. So I mean, those are both po- you know pl- one hundred plus. I mean, they're one twenty three and one eighty one. I mean, that's yeah. Two but then they're teams. done with Louisville. They're done with Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um. You know, they're done with uh, a lot of the t- NC state. Yeah. So, I mean, like really it's just the UVA home game and then the two Duke games separating them from having a 15 win, 14 win ACC season. And, and the thing too about Carolina that, you know, to, to Ferber's point, yeah, tempo war for sure, but also too, like um, 
this is not a you know Carolina typically has so much size, but this is a different sort of Carolina group, and so I feel like that's going to be a really good matchup on, on Monday night. Uh, we should we should change gears and, and talk football just for a few minutes here at the end of the show. Um, so obviously this was National Signing Day, um, which has for all intents and purposes become kind of a not thing, um, <laughs> mainly because there's an early signing period, and especially for Virginia because Signing Day uh, and the way that Bronco wants to run his program. It, it certainly feels like uh, he wants to get all the work done in December, keep a spot or two open, depending on what he what, what's out there uh, over the last you know couple months. But realistically, that's time for the spend on transfers and uh, and and the next cycle. Um, so really, no news today, right? They they lose out on uh, Wisdom Azaburo, uh kid Nigerian kid from uh, from Carolina who committed to the Heels yet last night. They, I mean, they had a couple other uh, lures out, but nothing, no, no real bites. It didn't feel like they were really in the thick of it with any any other 2019s. Uh, so they close out the class with uh, Luke Wentz and uh, Jairus Sayatu, uh, both signing their letters of intent and and officially joining the fold. I refuse to to call grad transfers recruits because I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't think that's a thing. Um, even though the schools really try hard to say like, oh, here's our class. No, he's not part of your recruiting class. You do sign a grant and aid. But anyway, um, overall, I mean, the, the Gellerstedt kid from Penn State, we, we've talked about that in the past, right? Transfers are transfers for a reason. And I say that delicately because I don't mean that as any disrespect. But it's you're not really sure what you're going to get. Um, when, when you bring in a guy who hasn't really played somewhere else. Now, to Virginia's credit, the Cavaliers do a really nice job, it seems, of like turning guys who haven't played much somewhere else into somebody who can contribute. Look at what they did with Dylan Thompson. You know, that dude arrived and could barely make it through practice. And then at some point in the season, they're able to put him out there on the field and he's able to contribute. Um, maybe not necessarily in buckets, but he still was able to, to make a few plays, especially in the Georgia Tech game. Um, overall, though, I'm, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on and sort of where things are coming off of a really nice season, really solid recruiting class. Um, and, and I thought we, we got a lot of information out of Bronco today. Uh, Bernie looking likely to come back probable. He will be held out at spring ball, but looks probable to return in the fall, which is good news. Mandy Alonzo will be participating in the spring ball, but will be somewhat limited um, as he comes back from his knee injury, which is good news. Jermaine Crowell has passed concussion protocol, so he'll be able to, to, um, to return, which is good news. Uh, I know they'll they'll have some guys who will be out. Um, I think Brent Nelson had surgery on his ankle, so he'll be out for spring ball. And I'm sure there are others guys who you know maybe some shoulder injuries and that kind of thing. So we'll get we'll get that you know more down the road. But overall, Dave, as we look toward 2019 and with spring ball, um, you know on the um, on the horizon, so to speak. Uh, when you look at the where things are recruiting, is this are they already? F- beyond where you thought they would be in the year three and how um how nice is that that they've been able to have the success they've had so far on the trail um beyond they're beyond where i thought they'd be in year three after year one not not where i thought they'd be when when they announced the hire because uh, i look I, I didn't think virginia would be that terrible year one under bronco um so a qualified yes on that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about next year. You know, just going to the signing day thing, like it's weird. Like this second signing day is weird. And if you look at the teams that 
you know, that made noise today. It's almost every team that had a really big day today was a team that changed coaches. Um, you know, UNC had a good day. Miami had a good day. Um, Virginia Tech had a pretty good day. Um, now, they didn't change coach, but they had plenty of other issues going on with the roster. But I think Bronco kind of hit on something today in the press conference that makes me think we probably don't need to worry about this second signing day, if you will, the official big signing day being a big deal. And it's the, it's the fact that, you know, that you've got less talent and teams with more identified issues because they missed out on the early signing period or they have a new coaching staff coming in. Um, you know, reading between the lines, that that means these coaches, these players are getting the full, the full treatment when they go on these visits, right? They're, they're getting probably promises that they wouldn't have gotten, you know, two months ago because the teams are a little more desperate. Um, now, I'm not in the rooms. I'm just assuming, you know, <laughs> and we we know Bronco. We we know these guys aren't gonna aren't gonna give you any promises. You're gonna come in and and you know earn the right to wear anything other than white um, when you get here. So it, it's an interesting the recruiting that happens between the first signing day and the second one. I, I think that kind of puts Virginia at a disadvantage. So they're gonna have to focus on the early signing period, and, and they did a really good job of that this year. So. Um, you know, we kind of knew who was going to sign today. I think picking up the grad transfer is big, but I also think we'd be kind of remiss not to include like keeping Bryce Hall around happened since the last signing day. That's a pretty good, pretty big recruit. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty happy where they are. They, you know, the 2020 class, they don't have, they won't need as many numbers, assuming we don't have any attrition. Um, and you know, I kind of found myself today, um, in the text thread, you know, I think Carolina and Carolina Miami end up jumping us in the in the rivals rankings, um, which which kind of sucks because you I swear. yeah because you enjoy being higher than them, um, but then I'm like, well, look what Bronco did with the 65th class. I, I didn't think they mattered when he signed that class. Why do I think they matter now? They they did they don't you know they they identify needs they've and they've done a great job of that through the years and. Every time I listen to Bronco talk, I'm I'm more confident. Um, I wish he did weekly press conferences during the off season. The stuff he talks about, like the friction, <laughs> the friction true. thing today, gets me. Like I need to, I feel like I need to bring friction to the podcast so we can grow as an organization. Um, <laughs> so I'll start doing that in the future. <laughs> All right, Dave, you you you're in charge of friction from now on. Um, I got it. I'm now I'm now trying to figure out how I'm going to work friction into the title of this uh, this episode. Although I don't think I can. I actually have a good one. Uh, already lined up but i mean if you go too far down that we're into the uh adult content area of the <laughs> yeah, podcast. True. gotta be careful <laughs> yeah too much friction gotta dave does the friction sort of stuff yeah we don't need any of that um ferber we we already talked previously at first signing day um i don't want to call it even early because it's just that's the real one and this is like the the potential you know this is like the yeah. this is like the supplemental on, encore one, you know on, yeah encore signing. the encore yeah so we got signing day and the encore um but like I, I don't so I don't want to go through like you know mo, your player you're most excited about but I'm I'm curious to get your point of view on something else Bronco talked about so he's talking about RJ Proctor and he's talking about you, you know there were some other players who transferred that basically they they came to him and said hey look I don't I don't see a you know a real path to playing time for me, so I you know I want to look elsewhere. And he he fully supported that. He's like, okay, I totally get that. The Proctor one, he he made a point to talk more about, and it is, I I've got to say, it's the most like Bronco thing I've ever heard Bronco say. 
So he's explaining that on 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 its most basic level, he believes that his job is to prepare young people, right? Is to develop them, and that in his mind, a fifth year, as with you know non athletes at the at the university, that a fifth year is earned, and you you earn that at the end, right? And he basically makes the point that he thought that they had basically taken Proctor as far as that he they could take him, and that in order for him to really see his full potential, he needed a jump start somewhere else. He needed to be challenged in a different way and reestablish himself at a new place. And he was confident that that would happen, but he didn't think they were going to be able to be the ones to help him get where he needed to go. I don't, one, you don't get coaches very often who say anything remotely like that. And you certainly don't get coaches who say that while they're talking about, you know, needing to add people on the offensive line. Here was a guy who had experience as a starter. Here was a guy at a position of potential need who was already in your program, who understood your system and whatnot. And, and yet they're basically not just like willfully letting him go, but almost ushering him out, which is, like I said, one of the, like we, we joke sometimes about like, in a lot of, de- I've I've said this on radio too. Like sometimes with some decisions, you sort of have to leave like ten percent of the window open, just because Bronco is a different kind of dude, and sometimes he'll just go his own way. This is, I mean, this is the definition of that. I mean, it was fascinating to me, and it was in a bo- and also refreshing. But I'm curious to get your thoughts. You are someone who is like I like to say, you're the 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 reasonable one of the group. When you heard Bronco talking about that and sort of explaining his his thought process. Did it ring true to you? Did it ring hollow? What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting scenario. I don't really know how to read into it and like how much he's sharing with us. It seems like a lot, <laughs> but I don't, you know, I don't know how those conversations all go down and and what the this individual player, you know, wanted and and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, if that is a sincere thing, and I have no reason to believe that it's not, it's a it's something that I feel like a lot of other coaches wouldn't do, but I feel like he probably sees some benefit to it in the sense that like, you know, this sounds weird, but I kind of feel like there's something to be gained by letting players leave happy if they want to leave. Right. Like obviously some of that comes down to their experience before they decide to leave. But I think, you know, everybody that left the program, whether it was, you know, they didn't see a playing time route or in his case, or, you know, even if like, let's say somebody wants to go pro, um, everybody seemed to leave on good terms, right? Unless I'm forgetting somebody, but it seemed like everybody just said, you know what, this is what's best for me personally. And, you know, they don't burn the staff or the, or the program on the way out the door. And then, you know, those relationships remain positive going forward. Um, as opposed to the opposite where there's like, it seems like there's something wrong, right? You know, there's just something amiss and it, you know, it, it keeps things going internally as well. Like the players feel like you trust them and, uh, and they can trust you, you know, if, if they feel like they can, they're You're going to be honest with them. And I, I feel like, you know, those crucial conversations and that sort of thing that uh, Bronco talks about a lot, like, you know, if you can, if you can look someone in the eye and tell them like, look, you're not going to be able to play here, but I can help you maybe get somewhere else. Or like, we feel like, you know, you might be better off somewhere else for whatever reason. Um, and we'd be happy to help you with that. And, and then you can move on. Both sides can kind of move on amicably and you can get another guy in the, in the building that you feel like can help the team um, instead of treating players like pawns. Right? right. And, and, and it's interesting because 
sometimes you would think that the culture that UVA has of really working players hard in the offseason and, and or making them earn everything would maybe run counter to the idea of like, um, you know, being there to support their growth. You know, it almost seems like maybe you're just trying to get the most out of them as you can, um, you know, with the earn everything approach and making them work really hard. But I honestly think that if his mission is to um, f- develop people, then I think that this is a good way to do that. And what's but what was interesting to me too in 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 sort of the way he he framed it and, and, and talked about it. One, I completely believe him, but also too, like I can see that having a benefit with the other guys because one thing about Proctor has been even since he made the deci- you know announced that he was leaving, and a lot of folks you know scratched their heads about it. He very positive about the program publicly i mean even interacting with tuje i mean there's clearly no you know ill will you know any 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 hurt feelings or anything and to your point like that seems to be sort of the norm i can almost see there being a benefit with the other guys to say like hey look if this isn't right for you like if it doesn't work well for you like if you're not if you're not reaching your potential like we're not going to just use you to try to win football games we want to you know we want to make sure that it that everybody is benefiting you know what i mean I can see there being a benefit with the other other players who who see this sort of go down because one they understand how committed the staff is to the player development part and also two that the challenge is out there for for other guys to fill those roles and so if you are someone who feels like you you want more playing time go what go out there and earn it and the fact that that they're willing to say to somebody at a position like that in a situation like that given what they're losing on the on the offensive line and given sort of where the program is and and how important you know that is to the to the lifeblood of 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 the of the whole of the whole organization that they're willing to say that to a guy because they they think this is going to be good for you and then he gets to go out and have you know 40 schools or whatever nonsense it was that have reached out to him and he gets to oh it's 40 now uh, <laughs> it's it's a bunch um it, it it's just funny to me to to think of it. It's it's such a like I just cannot. There's not a single coach in my mind right now that I can think of that would that would talk about it so publicly. Like maybe there's been a coach who's cut a guy loose, you know, who who thought, okay, well, I, I'm not sure I can get much out of him. But for Bronco to to sort of look at that situation the way he did and and act on it the way that they did and then support the guy the way like he's got nothing but glowing things to say about the kid but he you know he's he's also matter of fact about the fact that he doesn't think that it would be good for for rj to still be at uva that he needs to get out of his comfort zone a little bit and and reestablish himself and that'll be good for him going forward i mean in a way it it sort of kind of blew my mind and I'm still as if you can't tell like I'm still sort of wrapping my brain around it because it just seems so counter to what we have you know become accustomed to uh, in college athletics outside of what like Tony Bennett and like four other people like it's just it's 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 refreshing but also too it's a very different way to think about the whole thing Dave I'll give you the last word and then I'll, we'll wrap up you got anything else on this no I mean it, I think you guys nailed it all I mean it, it is refreshing um and I think it largely is a non-story as long as the offensive line isn't terrible next year. If you know, the offensive line struggles, then I think this comes back up. Um, but I, you know, I have no reason to doubt his his authenticity with it. Um, I mean, you think about how hard they worked to to get like a guy like Dylan Thompson integrated into the program when he he struggled. Like they, they're not going to throw you away because you 
they don't feel like they can fix you. And, you know, and I thought, especially in the bowl game, Proctor played really well. So, yeah, I have no reason to doubt it. And, you know, I hope RJ lands somewhere good. But, yeah, it is very odd seeing the guy who's transferring continue to retweet Virginia players and stuff. Like, it's something I've never seen before. And it's a much better look than some of the other transfers we've seen. Ain't that the truth. If you are someone who found the podcast through the website, thank you again for giving us a listen, giving us a chance. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your show uh, and give us a rating or review. That always helps get us out in front of more people, which is good because, you know, then you have people subscribe and it's a whole vicious cycle. If you're somebody who has found the pod but has not given us a look at the site, check us out, CapsCorner.com. Right now you can read um, Ferber's Take 5 that he did this week where we looked at uh, kind of borrowed that Take 2 format, looked at some things. At the midway point, both related to UVA and the league as a whole. I've got video of Kihei Clark after the Miami game talking about getting that start and how to clean up his turnovers. Um, we've also got that breakdown of Broncos press conference and the news that came out of that. Um, as you listen to this coming up later today, Ferb will have his updated ACC power rankings. Um, I can't, I'm, all, I'm personally really excited to see what the tiers are this week. But if he ever changes uh, Tuesday in Charlotte, I'm going to be very upset. No, actually, I, I won't be upset. I'll just change it back. Um, I'll never change that. <laughs> and then tomorrow we'll get you ready for the weekend. We'll have some visitors and, and stuff on both uh, the football and basketball sides as well as uh, Ferber's preview for the Duke game. So, again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time. As always, I very much appreciate it. For David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.